We're going to sing some more carols in a little while, but first of all, I want to bring you God's Word for today. Uh, you'll find the notes on the Bayside Church website under the media button. You'll also find them on the Version Bible app, or you can take your own notes. And if you are, I've called this message Gems in the Genealogy, which sounds like a, um, a bit of a kind of an oxymoron, really, because we've all probably read the genealogies in the Bible, um, probably just once. Uh, when you, you know those kind of those Bible reading plans that you follow and you like read the Bible in a year or whatever, and particularly in the Old Testament, where sometimes you have several chapters in a row and all they're doing is begetting. You know those chapters? And it's like he begat and begat and they begat and then they begat and it's like, oh my goodness. And you get to the end of it and you go, oh, I'm completely uninspired by that. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, and, and of all the ways that God could have possibly inspired Matthew to start the New Testament, you would think, you know, like we've got angels and shepherds and wise men and singing praises and all of this stuff, but no, we have a genealogy to start the New Testament. And, and you look at it and you go, Why? Well, the genealogies are there for a really good reason. I know they're not the most inspiring read, but it, what it tells us is that the Bible is about real people who really lived, who, who really loved God, and more importantly, who God really loved, and, and, it, and, and it puts the whole framework of the Bible into history. And not just history, but history with a purpose, that history is actually heading somewhere, and that we are not the random chance accident of an explosion and a monkey that got lucky. But we are a part of history that is actually going somewhere in life. I'm so glad you like that one, Jimmy. That's great. And so the genealogies are really important. And so we're going to read part of a genealogy. If you'll go with me in the Bible to Matthew chapter 1, and uh, or your smart device or whatever you happen to read the Bible on these days. I, I just, I love paper and, you know, I actually miss the days of, of the rustling of paper in, uh, is this me just getting old or what? You know, it's like in, in days gone by you say turn to and you'd hear all of these pages rustling and now there's just nothing, there's just people are... And Stuart, you need to actually learn that. You know, if you go like this on your screen, you can make it bigger. <laughs> you might be able to do without glasses for another year. Just <laughs> All right, so Matthew chapter 1, and let's read uh, a few verses of the genealogy so you don't nod off. Um, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, of, uh, the, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron was the father of Ram, uh, who will be barbecuing next weekend after the service, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, who will also be barbecuing. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. 
David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And then it goes on and on and on through various generations. And then verse 16, Jacob, the father of Joseph. And so what we're reading here is actually Joseph's family tree. Uh, The Gospel of Luke records Mary's family tree to show that both Mary and Joseph were descendants of King David. So Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now, I want to draw some gems out of this this morning, because when you read it, you go, huh? But when you dig into it, you find that there's some amazing truth hidden amongst these people, and particularly the women in this genealogy, because Matthew actually flies in the face of the culture and the tradition of his day, because uh, Middle Eastern genealogies were only supposed to record men, not women. Understanding that the, the uh, view of women over the years has changed dramatically. And ladies, you are in a, a, a day and age um, which is the best it has ever been for women, particularly in Western countries. I mean, if you go back 100 years, you weren't allowed to vote. And if you go back to some of the earlier people in this genealogy and Luke's genealogy, we're looking at people that were alive between 3,000, 4,000 years ago where women were considered as goods and chattel. They, they were merely there as pawns in a patriarchal society to, uh, to fulfill the will of men. And so Matthew flies in the face of all of that against all of the culture and tradition of his day, considering that Luke in his genealogy mentions 76 men and not a single woman and not even a married woman. And uh, that fell flat, didn't it? Um, And Matthew, uh, some of you actually don't even get that. (laughs) Single woman, married woman. Okay, right. There we go. Some jokes just need to be explained. Other jokes just need to not be said. That was one of them. (laughs) And so, as I say, Matthew flies in the face of this, and he he mentions five women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, I'm not going to talk about Mary this morning, but I want to spend a few minutes just recounting briefly some of the stories of these four women, and then I'm going to draw four life truths or life lessons that, that, that we can uh, draw out of the stories of these four women. And so the first one mentioned is Tamar. And uh, if you write down Genesis chapter 38, you will find Tamar's story uh, in that chapter, chapter 38 of Genesis. Interesting story. Uh, Genesis 38 mentions Judah, who was one of the sons of Joseph in the Old Testament. And uh, he became, of course, one of the tribes leaders of the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of Judah, which is the tribe that Jesus came from in the New Testament. He's referred to as the lion or the champion or the king of the tribe of Judah. And that's why we find Judah and Tamar uh, in this genealogy. So Judah had, and his wife had three sons. The first of the sons was called Ur, just simply spelt E-R. And uh, it wasn't supposed to be his name, but um, they were in the birthing suite, and uh, uh, Judah's wife gave birth um, to the son, and the nurse came in to write down the documentation for the birth certificate, and she said to, to Judah, what's your boy's name? And he went, uh, and she wrote it down. Uh, his name actually was supposed to be Brian, um, 
because he turned out to be a very naughty boy. But he was called Ur. And uh, when he grew up, he, um, he got married to Tamar. And uh, shortly after they got married, Ur died. Ur. And, uh, and they had no kids. Now, there was a thing back in Bible days, in Old Testament days, called levirate marriage. It was part of biblical marriage under the Old Covenant, where uh, if a situation like this, where Ur passed away, and he had a younger brother, Obed, in this particular, sorry, Onan, in this particular case, that Onan had a responsibility to marry his uh, brother's wife, his deceased brother's wife, Tamar, and he was then meant to raise up children in his brother's name. Uh, but if you read the story, you find that Onan took Tamar as his wife, uh, but every time they had sexual intercourse, he withdrew uh, before he ejaculated and ejaculated on the ground. And so, because he refused to raise up kids uh, to his brother's name. And so God was displeased with that because he was breaking the Leverate law. Uh, Onan ended up dying prematurely, which then left Tamar a widow for the second time. Now, they did have a third son. And uh, if you are, um, are planning to get pregnant at some time, or you're pregnant right now, and you have a boy, don't call him by this name because things will not go well for him at school because his name was Sheila. It obviously worked well three and a half thousand years ago, but it would not work well in a Karen Downs or Frankston primary school or high school in this day and age. Hey, mate, what's your name? Uh, Sheila. <laughs> so Sheila was too young uh, to get married to Tamar. So Judah said, look, when Sheila is old enough, uh, I will give him to you to get married. But then Judah forgot all about it. And he basically left his daughter-in-law to fend for herself. Things were not good for women, and they were especially not good for widows back in that day. There was no Centrelink. There was no widow's pension. Uh, they had to try and survive on their own, and invariably, they had to give their bodies in prostitution. Now, Tamar didn't do that except on one occasion, and that was to trap Judah uh, into fulfilling uh, his responsibility as her father-in-law. She heard that Judah was going to a town where his sheep were and the shearers were going to be shearing his sheep. And so Tamar dressed up as a shrine prostitute. She put a veil across her face and she waited there because she knew Judah was going to be passing. In the meantime, Judah's wife had passed away, so he was a single man now. And as he walked toward the town, he saw Tamar there, presumed she was a prostitute, and approached her to have sex with her and asked her how much it would cost. And she said, it'll cost a goat. And so he said, I have a goat, but I don't have one with me. So let me give you two things as a pledge, as a promise that I will come good with the goat. And so he gave her his seal, which was the, uh, the thing that they would seal official documents with back in those days. And he gave him his staff. The modern equivalent would be a driver's license and a credit card. And so he gave her his driver's license and credit card. They had sex together and he went on his merry way, uh, not thinking anything of it and certainly not knowing he'd slept with his daughter-in-law. A number of months later, Judah hears that Tamar is actually pregnant. And the first thing he thinks is that she has done the wrong thing. She's lived an immoral life and he commands that she should be executed by being burnt to death, at which point she produces the credit card, and the driver's license. 
And she says, the man who owns these is the man who did this to me. It's a fascinating story. At which point he repents and he says, Tamar, you are more righteous than I. The story ends with her giving birth to twins. She did everything she possibly could to survive in that day and age. Story number two or gem number two is Rahab. We read her story in Joshua chapter two. You can read that uh, in your own time. Long story short, uh, Israel sent two spies to Jericho to spy out the land before they attacked the city. Uh, the two young men headed straight to the local prostitute's house, and uh, she ended up being quite an amazing woman uh, in that she hid the spies uh, and she protected them, and then she uh, lied to cover up their whereabouts, uh, and then she sent them off into a different direction so that they wouldn't be caught. And she did that as an agreement that her life and the lives of her family would be spared. The New Testament mentions Rahab a number of times in the genealogies, but then in two other occasions. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 31, the great faith chapter, he says, By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And in James chapter 2 and verse 25, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. What a gem Rahab was. Number three is Ruth. And I love the story of Ruth. It's a great little read. You'll find the four chapters of Ruth just before 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. And I encourage you just over the next few days to go back to Ruth and read the whole story. It's about a, a, a couple, Elimelech and Naomi. They were from Bethlehem, the town where Jesus was born. Bethlehem was going through a drought. Bethlehem was affected by famine. And Elimelech and Naomi, for their own survival, moved out of Bethlehem and they ended up settling in a place called Moab. And uh, there they settled and uh, Naomi gave birth to two sons who grew up all in the process of about two or three verses uh, in Ruth chapter 1. Things happened very fast back in those days and they ended up getting married to two guys, uh, sorry, to two men. To two women. Oh my goodness. So I'm still thinking about that drag show down Chapel Street. <laughs> so they ended up getting married to, uh, uh, to two women. One of them was Ruth and the other was Orpah, which was supposed to be Oprah Winfrey's name, by the way, and this is not a joke. Um, in the, in the, um, after uh, Oprah's parents had given birth to her, um, they mentioned they wanted to give her a biblical name, and the name they wanted to give her was Orpah, O-R-P-A-H. But the person writing the details down got the P and the R in the wrong order. So instead of being welcomed to the Orpah Winfrey show, which sounds really weird, uh, we know her, of course, as Oprah, which is, uh, I think, a much better name. So anyway, these two boys got married, but then they died, and their father died as well. And so there was these three women left, Naomi, the mother-in-law, and her two daughters-in-law, uh, Orpah and Ruth. Now, Naomi heard that the famine had ended in Bethlehem, and so she decided to go back home to her family, to her extended family. And, and she said to her daughters-in-law, um, I'm not going to be having any more children, and even if I did, you wouldn't wait uh, for the boys to grow up. So there's no possibility of a levirate marriage. And so the best thing for you is to stay here in Moab, go back to your mothers, and hopefully you will find young men to marry you, and, and that will be your future and your support. 
One of the daughters, Orpah, decided to listen to her mother-in-law and stayed in Moab, but Ruth decided that she was going to go with Naomi. And that's where in the book of Ruth in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, we read this incredible declaration of faithfulness and loyalty. Ruth replied to Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And so the next three chapters of Ruth uh, unfold this beautiful love story as Ruth comes across a man called Boaz, who is actually her next of kin, even though he is a distant relative, and she asks him for a leverate marriage, and he agrees, and Ruth becomes the grandmother of King David. The fourth story is about Bathsheba, and Matthew obviously doesn't like Bathsheba very much. He says David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And so by making that statement, he's making a judgment about this woman, about her immorality, about her character. He doesn't like her very much. He doesn't refer to her as David's wife, but as who had been Uriah's wife. There's a a lot of judgment in that statement. You can read the whole story in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. But long story short is that uh, the time of war had started. King David should have gone uh, to war with his troops, but instead he stayed back in Jerusalem. It was a spring night, probably quite warm. He went up onto the flat roof of his palace where he could look across the whole of the small but very crowded city of Jerusalem. And as he looked down, he saw this woman who was taking a bath. She had all the windows open, uh, obviously trying to attract the attention of the king, and her plan succeeded. David asked who this beautiful woman was. He was told that she was the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, who was out at war. He asked for Bathsheba to come to the palace. He slept with her and she became pregnant as a result. The next couple of chapters are all about conspiracy and cover-up as a result of this misdeed. Four women and four lessons we can learn from these gems in the genealogy. Let me touch on these four things quickly before we wrap up this message. Number one, the kingdom of God breaks down all barriers. Matthew in his genealogy includes men and women. He includes Jews and Gentiles. He includes saints and sinners. He includes the successful and the sidelined. And so did Jesus. And so are we. The New Testament tells us that There is now no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. There is something amazing in the kingdom of God that breaks down all barriers. In Jesus Christ, there should be no more walls because of race or economy um, or or gender. And it is is an absolute tragedy that there are still some parts of the church that are building these walls rather than building bridges with all people for whom God loves and Jesus came to live, die, and rise again. The kingdom of God breaks down all barriers. Lesson number two, true justice is compassion for the weak and exhausted. 
online you'll find a message that I ministered last weekend at our Cheltenham campus called Joseph, Man of Justice. I encourage you to watch that during the week or you can download it as an audio podcast or listen to it online. Uh, In there I talked about Joseph because we rarely hear about Joseph. Joseph is often uh, kind of this inconsequential sideline figure. It's all about Mary and God and shepherds and wise men and everything and Jesus, of course. And we see Joseph very much uh, off in the corner, kind of relegated to the same um, level as the animals uh, in the stable. But that's not how it was. And as you listen to that message, you will realize that without Joseph, there would be no Jesus. There would be no salvation. There would be no Messiah. He was intrinsically important. And in Matthew's Gospel, it tells us that Joseph was a man who was faithful to the law and yet. And I love those two little words, and yet, because he didn't have the information at this particular time that he was going to receive later when he found out in a dream when an angel spoke to him and told him how Mary was pregnant. Before he received that information, all he knew is that the woman he was betrothed to who was already um, good enough to be his wife, in fact, uh, to, to dissolve that relationship, they literally had to get a divorce. And so for her to be pregnant, in his mind, she had been unfaithful to him and the law required her to be stoned to death as a result. And Joseph was a man who was faithful to the law. And yet... And I'm so glad those two little words are there. You know, I come across Christians, preachers, and and others who are faithful to the law, but they don't have an and yet in their vocabulary. And they end up stoning a lot of people with their words, their attitudes, and their actions. True justice is compassion for the weak and exhausted According to Levitical law, both Judah and Tamar should have been stoned to death, and yet. Think about what it would be like for us if God was only faithful to the law and didn't have an and yet. Jesus is God's and yet. Faithful to the law and fulfilling the law through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ so he can be compassionate to us. And he calls us, not just at Christmas, but all times of the year, to take that and yet with us and apply that to the people with whom we come in contact. Number three, your past does not dictate your future. Think about these four women for for, for a moment. David and Bathsheba, now there were consequences of their actions, and yet much of their future together as husband and wife was greatly blessed. Their past did not dictate all of their future. Tamar was twice widowed, forgotten and neglected and yet her brave resoluteness got her what was rightfully hers. Her past did not dictate her future. Rahab and Ruth both had three things against them. Rahab was immoral, she was a Gentile and she was a woman. Ruth was a Gentile, a woman and a Moabite. Now, the Moabites had actually not been very kind to Israel. When Israel was in the desert, uh, the nation of Israel needed some food and water, and the Moabites had plenty of bread and plenty of water, and yet they refused to give them to Israel, and so Israel didn't like the Moabites. And we find this verse in Deuteronomy 23 and verse 3, that no Ammonite 
or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. So Ruth, as a Moabite, should never have been allowed into the presence of God. And yet, we find this woman included. Why? Because her past did not dictate her future. We find her in the genealogy of Jesus, the grandmother of King David, this woman who, according to that scripture, shouldn't even be allowed in the very presence of God. And yet. And fourthly and finally, learn to be loyal. And that's where Ruth shines bright, this amazingly loyal, loving, and godly woman. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. Where you die and buried, I'm going to die and be buried with you. That incredible faithfulness and loyalty. And loyalty is is something that sometimes is in a bit short supply uh, in the world today. And yet I look across our congregation here at Frankston, I look across our congregation at Cheltenham Saturday night, Sunday morning, and what I see is hundreds and hundreds of people that are incredibly faithful and loyal. And I want to thank you. I know it's not always easy to be faithful and loyal. Some people aren't, especially through the tough times that every church goes through from time to time. It's easy for people to go, oh, it's a bit hard here, I'm going somewhere else. In this day and age of consumer Christianity, we see fickleness on the rise. You see, people will only be faithful and loyal as long as you can put on the best show. But if you put on a better show in another church not too far away, then off go a significant number of people. But I just want to thank you. Some of you have been with us a short time, but I look around other people who have been around a very long time, and I want to thank you for your faithfulness and loyalty. You know, it's not about me and Christy achieving something, it's about us achieving something. And, and what one person can do is nothing compared with what hundreds of people can do when we're all focused in the same direction. And so take those life lessons uh, and be encouraged by them, those gems in the genealogy. 